Mother Nature really does know what she's doing. If we let the clams kind of do their job as bottom feeders and water filters, they keep the body of water clean. And it's really a great story of talking about working with nature and allowing nature to do its thing. We love to fish and swim and kayak and all these waterways, and you can't do that if the waterway is impacted. We have thousands upon thousands, if not tens of thousands of acres to restore, and we can only do so much in one year. But I know we can get there with all the funding that's coming down here and that workforce we're trying to build. A lot of uh, the younger generation right now in Louisiana is keeping their eye on this and trying to decide, am I going to go to college in Louisiana? Am I going to stay in Louisiana? Because they really don't know if there's going to be enough land left in Louisiana. Elevating homes or putting homes on floating structures and connecting with other communities, not only around the United States, but around the world. So I know that there's a solution there for us to continue to live in some of these areas we live in. Information that we have, connecting with all these other technologies all around the country and the world to see what is going to work best for here in Louisiana. Welcome to the Blue Economy Primer, a New Orleans-based podcast where you learn from the experts, the practical tools and solution sets that will empower your community to adapt and thrive in a new blue era of rising seas and economic discontinuity. Special thanks to the Dan Lucas Memorial Foundation and the Pontchartrain Conservancy for their financial and institutional support of Deep Blue Academy's education and research initiatives. Today, we are speaking with a key regional leader in Southeast Louisiana's fight to protect and preserve our coastal and inland waters from the adverse effects of urbanization and climate change. As an engineer and advocate leading the Pontchartrain Conservancy, as well as a board member and supporter for many other complementary initiatives, she is working to build capacity through her work with regional education and research organizations, including local K-12 schools and entrepreneur groups, so helping to develop better understanding about the environmental challenges the region's future generations will face in the coming decades. Christy, thank you so much for joining us in the Blue Economy Primer. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, thank you for having me. Hi, uh, this is Christy Trail, Executive Director of Pontchartrain Conservancy. Um, you gave a little bit a bit about what we do, uh, but just to introduce myself to your listeners, uh, by degree, I'm an engineer. I have two engineering degrees from LSU, Go Tigers. Um, and prior to this role in nonprofit, I worked in a few different roles, um, but all focused on work in Southeast Louisiana. I took over running the Pontchartrain Conservancy, again, a nonprofit here in Louisiana, about six years ago. It's an organization that's been around for more than 30 years, and it's really close to my heart because I grew up here in Louisiana, in fact, on Lake Pontchartrain. And so to now run this organization that takes care of Lake Pontchartrain is really special to me. Great. Well, first, I want to publicly acknowledge and thank you and the Pontchartrain Conservancy for the institutional support and collaboration as uh, Deep Blue Academy's initial fiscal sponsor, which allowed us to successfully complete our formation process and also deliver our first round of podcasts. That was a huge help. So glad we were able to help you all. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Pontchartrain Conservancy's mission, agenda, and your theory of change, particularly keeping in mind that uh, many of our listeners are from other parts of the world? Yes. So, you know, most of our work is really focused on a particular corner of the state of Louisiana, Um, It's about 25% of the state of Louisiana that is the watershed of Lake Pontchartrain, which sits in the southern part of the state near the Gulf Coast. And we look after that. um, It's called a lake, affectionately, but it is truly an estuary because it gets that mix of salt water and fresh water. And so our work is really focused on all things water in this corner of the state. 
whether it deals with the quality of the water, changes in the water, again, from fresh to saline, and how that affects not only the habitat, marine life, and you know biota that live in the Pontchartrain Basin, but also the communities. So we're constantly evaluating changes, impacts, whether it's impacts from development, impacts from climate change, and what that means for the communities that live along the Gulf Coast in southeast Louisiana. So the Pontchartrain Conservancy has a broad agenda as well as a storied past as it relates to the cleanup of what, what used to be a very polluted and struggling Lake Pontchartrain aquatic ecosystem. Can you tell us a little, little bit about that history and the state of the lake today? Yes, it's an interesting story. Again, having grown up on Lake Pontchartrain, I really witnessed a lot of its transformation firsthand. Um, you know, the lake was a heavily polluted body of water in the 60s and 70s, but that was mostly not due to industrial pollution, interestingly. A lot of it was due to home sewer systems. And we have a lot of discharge that was occurring into the lake. Again, the point in time in the 60s and 70s, the Clean Water Act was really just kind of coming to be, as was EPA. So the regulation landscape has changed a lot in the past 30-something years. But back then, with the uh, wastewater discharges that were going into the lake and the move for economic development around the area, the lake itself was dredged for clamshells. Clamshells, we have a lot of clams that are native habitat within the lake, but they provide a hard substrate for us, which we don't really have in southeast Louisiana. There isn't a lot of rock down here, if you will. So, you know, in our industrious thinking, we dredged up the lake for those clamshells for that hard surface to build out a lot of the communities that live here today. So roadways, home bases, slabs were all built using clamshells from the lake. So we were thriving with economic development in the 60s. In fact, you know, New Orleanians love to tell the story that we were actually bigger than the city of Atlanta at that point in time. Um, but in doing so, it destroyed the ecosystem of the lake itself which was really detrimental to the communities that were now moving along the lakefront. You know, they moved to the lake uh, to be around the water because they enjoyed it, appreciated it, wanted to swim and sail and fish. And then by digging up the clamshells, we destroyed the ecosystem of the lake itself. And the state began to put up signs that said the lake was no longer suitable for any form of recreation. And, you know, so here we are in about the late 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s, when the lake was, you know, we like to say, quote unquote, closed. Um, and again, that was due to the clamshell dredging. So we came in as a neutral third party nonprofit, uh, working with all these state agencies and home builders and community members and small businesses and said, we all want the same thing. We all want a clean lake. Let's work together to make it happen. So we did that, and the first thing that we did was ban clamshell dredging within Lake Pontchartrain. It is still banned to this day, so it's one of our first big wins that occurred in 1990. And that allowed the clam population to thrive within the lake. Again, native habitat, shallow brackish water. Once the clams were back, they were able to get back to work. So we like to talk about how Mother Nature really does know what she's doing. If we let the clams kind of do their job as bottom feeders and water filters, they keep the body of water clean. And now that the clam population is back in Lake Pontchartrain, the lake itself is clean. And it's really a great story of talking about working with nature and allowing nature to do its thing and an economic development win because communities that live around the lake obviously want a clean body of water, 
nobody's home values are going to soar if they have a dirty body of water outside their front door. So it really became a win-win. It was a struggle in the beginning. It became a discussion of either environment or economic development, but we were able to get everybody all thinking on the same page that you can really have both. Great. Well, I can remember growing up when we would visit New Orleans and go to, I'd go uh, play on the parking lot of Barker's in Metairie and it was all clamshells and I guess that would have been the uh, in the early 80s, late 70s, and uh, of course never never put any thought into that. So uh, from there, did I understand your mandate expanded from the lake then to the basin? Yes. So you know, becoming a grassroots organization in the late 80s, we were a staff of two at the time. You look at us today, we're a staff of 30. And so yes, our work has expanded beyond just advocating to ban clamshell dredging which was really, you know, kind of the start of our work. Today, we have a team of scientists that sample the water, test the water quality, not only in the lake, but in, in the entire watershed of the rivers that drain into Lake Pontchartrain. So, you know, really looking after a broader scope of not just the lake itself, but all the water that drains into the lake, what could con- possibly contribute, you know, to any impact to the lake itself, or any of the waterways on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain, where people like to go kayaking and fishing and swimming. Um, and then expanding after Hurricane Katrina, which hit us in 2005, there was such a huge impact to the habitat and ecosystems all throughout Louisiana. We really began studying, okay, what happened with Hurricane Katrina? How did we get that large surge volume of storm water, you know, that uh, storm surge that entered into Lake Pontchartrain from that hurricane? And what impact did that have? And if that were to happen again, how could we prevent such a detrimental impact? So for us, we really wanted to start looking at ways that the community was impacted by water, not only the water quality, but just, you know, storm surge water. And what would it take to restore our area to prevent a hurricane like that from impacting us so detrimentally? So as you know, at uh, Deep Blue, we're particularly focused on blue economy and blue technology. What does blue economy and blue technology develop mean to you, and how does it maybe relate to the work at the Conservancy? Well, obviously, we're, you know, all things water, so we love to see activity, uh, again, that marrying of economic development and the environment, ways that we can get the economy kick-started, using things with water, appreciating water. We live in a sea-level state, right? So we are at ground level with water, what are ways that we can put that to our advantage? I think there's a lot of opportunity in Louisiana. I think there's a lot of ways to recognize the value in protecting certain regions of the environment, you know, for we have these wildlife refuges, but there's ways that we can do that with our economy booming as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that interdependency and balance between economic development and environmental protection for Louisiana? Yes. So the work that we do is really looking to, you know, changes in habitat, is there value in that habitat to protect us from storm surge? If we look at what happened in Hurricane Katrina, Lake Pontchartrain itself received 19 feet of water. So the lake was 19 feet deeper or higher, depending on your perspective. If you're standing on the ground, the water came up 19 feet. Um, So how did that happen? And so we look at ways to Where did that storm surge come from? It will happen again. We know we're getting a lot more storms, and they're more frequent and more intense. So restoring habitat outside of the Pontchartrain Basin will actually help communities that live around the lake. 
but trying to put that story together and, you know, get that message out there, I think understanding the value of the state investing a billion plus dollars in coastal restoration, maybe where there aren't communities and are remote areas and far away, but translating the impact of that billion dollars to restore the coast to protect communities all around Lake Pontchartrain is kind of where we come in to say, like, it's a worthwhile economic investment for this region, even though, you know, it appears to be a, quite a distance away and maybe there aren't any people that live out there in an area where we're storing, but it ultimately will protect the communities. So the Pontchartrain Conservancy does a lot of ecosystem restoration work, including tree planting, sediment diversion research, and water sampling. What about the role and impacts of emerging economic activities like aquaculture, offshore wind or blue energy, coastal restoration, and or carbon sequestration? Do you see the Conservancy having more of a reactive or a proactive role in those activities? Right now, I'll say we're a little bit of both. Um, we're pretty you know, invested in some of the work that we've been doing for the past several years. But we're certainly attending a lot of the meetings, talking about some of the new technologies, keeping an eye on things that are happening. Again, most of our staff, our scientists, you know, PhD level um, in public health and biology and ecology. So trying to understand where we fit into that picture, you know, we're still kind of working that out if we can have a, re a proactive role. Right now, it's definitely more of a passive role, if you will, just sitting and watching and seeing what's happening. Could you tell us about your education and vocational training programs with organizations like Living School, Sci Academy, and New Harmony? Yes, this is something that I think is so exciting. You know, we talk about the economy booming in this area. I was just saying that we had a billion dollars worth of investment going into our coast. That's just in a one calendar year time frame of work occurring in this state. Who is doing that work? Well, today we are outsourcing a lot of that work to large engineering firms, while they may have an office here in Louisiana, they're headquartered in other cities in the United States, you know, larger cities, Chicago, New York, Atlanta. And then we're hiring these engineers. While the engineers themselves may be local, we don't really have the capacity here for those local big firms to take on that work, you know, as a prime contractor with the state. We would love to see that happen over the next 10, 20, 30 years, however long it takes to build that workforce. And for us, our role, we're trying to make a spark with students in K through 12 education at, at this point in time. So we engage with schools, again, at the K through 12 level to try to spark an interest with some of those students in the hopes that they will pursue a career, hopefully at LSU, my alma mater, I got to give them another plug, um, to pursue a career in coastal restoration, even if it's on the accounting side in the coastal restoration space. Uh, because there's so much money coming down here. There's so much work that needs to be done. And we really need to build that hub of local talent, local industry, where we have so much to give that at some point in time in the future, we are exporting that talent to other states. So they're coming to seek us out as the hub of true knowledge. So we work with schools. We have programs where we talk about water quality, the history of Lake Pontchartrain, which I gave a little bit on, and the clamshells. How did that happen? What does water quality mean? What does brackish water mean? What lives in brackish water? So we do a lot of hands-on activities with schools throughout the area. You mentioned a few that we work with. Um, we also have schools in some of the other parishes around the lake to really spark that interest, get some of these students thinking about solutions for our coast in the future so that they pursue careers and stay here in Louisiana and help us build out the economy. I'm wondering if you have any 
favorite or key benchmarks or statistics that crystallize the Gulf Coast climate crisis for you, perhaps related to the now inevitable impacts we will see on coastal communities around the world? Yeah, this is a really good question and a tough one. Um, For us, we are constantly looking at water quality and the number of impaired waterways that we have around this part of the state. So if that waterway is impacted by discharge, whether it's from home sewer systems or potentially new industrial discharges, you know, what we look for in this part of the state, we love to be outside. We love to fish and swim and kayak and all these waterways, and you can't do that if the waterway is impacted. So ensuring that we maintain a list of waterways that are not on the naughty list, for lack of a better word, to ensure that we have that there. Um, Some of the other benchmarks that we look at are number of acres restored. You know, we have so many acres of wetlands in this part of the state that are sinking. The trees are not thriving. uh, The water keeps rising. So where are areas that we have either worked with the state to dredge in material and build up land and then go behind them and plant trees? Or maybe there's areas historically where all the trees were cut down for cypress logging And we're now going back in and planting those trees. So quantifying the number of acres that are restored for us on a year-to-year basis is a big benchmark. Now, we have thousands upon thousands, if not tens of thousands of acres to restore, and we can only do so much in one year. But I know we can get there with all the funding that's coming down here and that workforce we're trying to build. What are some key technologies or project types that you are watching come online that could be important new tools for coastal community resilience? No, this is a really uh, tough question looking at communities that are impacted so much by all the changes that we see, whether it's, you know, uh, rising water or more frequent storms. Uh, But really, I think engaging the community in conversations just like this, understanding what's happening, what changes are there, options are there, options such as elevating homes or putting homes on floating structures and connecting with other communities, not only around the United States, but around the world. Other communities are having to figure this out too. So I know that there's a solution there for us to continue to live in some of these areas we live in, but it's a matter of connecting with communities, understanding their concerns, information that we have. I think that's a lot of the great work that you're doing is really connecting with all these other technologies all around the country and the world to see what is gonna work best for here in Louisiana. But hey, if at the end of the day you're tired of it and you want to move because you're tired of flooding, there's options for that too. The state is working with certain communities to try to come up with options for them, whether, again, it's elevating their home, buying them out and helping them relocate or figuring out what works best for them. Yeah, well, that's great to hear because certainly part of what we want to be doing at Deep Blue is creating those connections with other communities and leaders around the world that can that can share their ideas and we can share our, our ideas with them. Are there any big concerns in terms of destructive activities or unaddressed threats that are coming up for you and the Conservancy right now? Well, I would frame it in a different way as more of a big opportunity that's out there. The state has a huge project on the horizon, the mid baratari Sediment Diversion. The state just received all their permits and the go-ahead to get through with it. Construction on that will hopefully start later this year. So we're really excited to see that happen. Um, I think with that project going forward, it's a huge savior for South Louisiana because it will restore so much land That land will buffer so much storm surge and protect communities. You know, we're talking communities all up and down southeast Louisiana will be protected by the land that's created from this sediment diversion. 
I think it's just such a key project to see it go forward. The risk is if for some reason something halts the project. That's going to be really detrimental to South Louisiana. We've been waiting for this project for over 30 years to get it built, to get it to this point. And, you know, a lot of uh, the younger generation right now in Louisiana is keeping their eye on this and trying to decide, am I going to go to college in Louisiana? Am I going to stay in Louisiana? Because they really don't know if there's going to be enough land left in Louisiana. The state has some great projects on the books to build land, but they have to move forward. And it would be really unfortunate if something were to hold them up, because without those, our state's at a significant risk. Wow. That's pretty profound to think about in terms of those future generations and what opportunities they, they may have. Is there anything else going on at the Conservancy that maybe I didn't ask about that uh, you'd like to highlight or is or that you're working on? Well, for any of your listeners, if you're ever in southeast Louisiana and specifically in New Orleans around Lake Pontchartrain, we do have a, a museum, which I know you've been to, Greg. It's really small out on the lake, but it's a great place where we tell our story. We talk about the recovery of Lake Pontchartrain itself. We talk a lot about Southeast Louisiana and the value it has to the rest of the country. For example, crabs. Everybody loves to eat crabs out of Lake Pontchartrain. They're delicious. Um, But come out and see us. We have some really fun activities out there to get hands-on and play. You can build an underwater robot. You can even plant cypress trees from seeds out there. So I hope your listeners get a chance to come down and see us here in New Orleans and come play with us out at the Lighthouse Museum. Yeah, and I can definitely endorse that. It's a very very impressive facility, and I learned a lot doing a tour with Christy. What's next for you, Christy? What are you most excited about, either in your personal or professional life, that you can share with us? Well, for me, I have landed my dream job doing this, what I'm doing right here. I'm working at Pontchartrain Conservancy. Like I said, I've been doing it for about six years It's really so fun. I grew up here. I've pretty much only ever lived in Southeast Louisiana, so it's near and dear to my heart. I'm raising children here, and of course, they know how much I love it here. Um, And it's just, it's a great place to be. I'm really excited to see the focus on Louisiana, the opportunities ahead, and to be a part of it. It really has just been so fun. I can't envision doing anything else. Great. Well, obviously, we've got the right person leading the the conservancy there. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, we'll look forward to staying in touch and uh, maybe doing some projects together. All right. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Blue Economy Primer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Please help us spread the word, and be sure to visit our website at www.deepblue.academy, where you can find all of our available episodes, access important links and supporting information for each episode, send us your comments and or suggestions for potential guests and topics, get more information about our community engagement initiatives, and join our mailing list, as well as make a much-appreciated tax-deductible donation to support our nonprofit education and research mission. Thanks again to the Dan Lucas Memorial Foundation and the Pontchartrain Conservancy for their critical financial and institutional support. Until next time, when we meet again, on the ever-expanding horizon of the blue economy.